Hello, everybody, and welcome to Documentation Not Included, a tech industry podcast presented by DNI Stream, the live knowledge repository for software professionals. It's Thursday at 7 o'clock BST, and we're live on twitch.tv forward slash DNI Stream for the first time in about two months, maybe a little bit longer than two months, actually. And it's actually nothing to do with uh, with COVID or, or the lockdown or anything like that. It's just that we've had some illness. Uh, it's difficult to run the podcast uh, with just one host. But um, today... We're doing that anyway. Um, and we can only apologise. We will do better. We've got a guest this week, and we've got a guest next next week so far, so hopefully that will continue. Um, anyway, I'm Chris, and today I'm joined by a returning guest, Anthony Keenan. Anthony has joined us before on the show. Um, he's, he's discussed quite a few topics, QA, recruitment, all kinds of uh, how to get developers on board and all kinds of things like that. Um, but since then, his situation has changed, so I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell us what he's doing now. My name's Anthony. I've been a permanent employee for uh, various companies for the past, uh, I don't know, 18 years, 19 years. And then uh, we've had discussions before, I think, me and Chris and Josie on uh, DNI stream about the difference between being a permanent employee and being a contractor. Uh, but now I've actually turned over to the dark side myself and uh, become a contractor. So it's quite... Um, Chris well, spent we, a lot of time laughing at me. And, we, uh, we need to we need to sort this language out first because I am offended by the use of the dark side there. Right, <laughs> that, it's not that contracting is not the dark side. It is the right way to do things. Let's be clear about that on this podcast. Of course, I'm joking. We don't mind how people do things as long as you do them in a in a productive and constructive way. Of course. I think I think there's there's a place for and this isn't the subject of the podcast, but I think there is a place for both. There is a place for contractors and yes. there is a place for permanent employees, and you know you need a mix of both depending on what what your project is. Absolutely, and you know we, again we 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 pretty much advocate any way of developing and, and being part of a, a development team on this podcast. But you know we are more kind of we do lean more towards the self employment side of things because of who runs it, Josie and I. You know, anyway, so. Before we get going, let's get on with the icebreaker question. Um, this week's pretty simple. Um, also, um, so yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, let's ask it. Just simply ask it, right? Um, which decade do you love the most and why? It's got to be the 80s, I think. Knew that was best, coming from you. Yeah, best music. You can't beat like Dayglow socks and stuff. Maybe that was a bit more sort of early 90s, but um, anything yeah, Dayglow was, like the 80s. was 90s, yeah. Yeah. Every picture, of, every picture of me in the nineties, I have this haircut. By the way, but this is not my normal haircut. This is because of the lockdown, and I haven't been able to get my hair hair chopped. Um, I used to have centre parting, and yeah. every single sh- every time I, I see a picture, I'm wearing a bright day glow shirt of some description, yeah. and it's like bright green. It's like the the cycling gear that we wear. You know, <laughs> it's hideous stuff. Yeah. I was the same at school. I had a part centre part in because that's what everybody had. Didn't suit me. Didn't make, didn't fit my hair. It just used to stick up and look like a hedgehog. I mean, it's not much better now, but well, I said mine's hideous <laughs> at the moment. I'm, I have to. I've got this. My uh, my wife, who's just actually commented on my beard in in chat, she gave me this. So I look like you know, like um, footballers do that when you see them. They've got you know when they've got long oh, hair yes. and they put that in when they're running around or, or tennis players I look like one of them every single morning until I get to a point where my hair kind of drops after I take it out for oh, it's hideous um, my favourite decade I don't know you know I'm going to say the current decade or at least the 2000s the noughties or whatever because I think this decade's not not been great so far has it really for the the old world and we haven't uh, we haven't finished it yet but I think last decade because because of my life because of the way my life's gone because I got married last decade, because I found you know I found somebody who who, who relates to me and, and I can I can spend the rest of my life with and I settled I suppose if you know not hang on that came out wrong I didn't settle for my wife I settled down you know and, and chilled out and and became a lot more confident and a lot more kind of myself I, I grew into myself I think and that's probably why I prefer it in terms of music and things like that I mean I like music from all kinds of decades and I certainly I'm not married to the 80s when it comes to music certainly not I like a lot of it but not there's, there's a I think the 90s is music for me you know grunge and the earlier metal, uh, that kind of well, I say earlier metal. It's late metal, isn't it? Anyway, yes. So on to today's subject: scheduling a one-man band. So because Anthony's moved into this new world, wonderful world of dark, dark contracting, um, we're going to talk about how to schedule uh, work. Now, this actually comes from. Um, oh, we just got a subscription. Thank you very much, Quince. Oh, Quince. 
Hello, hello, Gwyns. How are you doing? Uh, Gwyns is Josie's husband. Um, uh, so, scheduling a one-man band. We are, uh, as one-man bands, we quite often say yes to things that we maybe shouldn't say yes to. And I think Anthony might possibly have been suffering from that in, in recent years, because in de- weeks, rather, because I've been trying to arrange to go out for a bike ride with him. And uh, and he's he's constantly been working or had something else on, you know. So, it, it's I don't know. I get the impression that maybe... Maybe Anthony's uh, struggling a bit with scheduling at the moment. I might be wrong there. No, I, I definitely. I, I, so I, I think the, the biggest issue is um, back when I decided to do this in in January, I started speaking to sort of various people who might have some work for me to do, uh, but then nothing came of it until April. So what's that? Two, three months in between. Mm-hmm. But then two or three different things that I've been talking to people about all came up at the same time, and then. You know, you, you don't. It's difficult to know you, to to say no to somebody after you've been speaking to them for that long, and you don't. You're not sure how long all of the contracts are going to last. So you think, oh, maybe I can juggle them and see what happens. And I suppose that's the difference. That's a, that's a big difference between being a a contractor where you're always thinking about work, the work you're doing now, as well as you know what you're going to be doing in sort of three to six months. Whereas when you're permanent, you just sort of turn up at work and go, well, I'll do whatever you want. You pay me, I'll see you, I'll have a, you know. If I get if I get fired, I'll get another job or something, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, it's it's a you get a you get work given to you as a as a permanent employee. Essentially, it is your employer's responsibility to give you the work. Whereas when you're a contractor, yes, your clients might give you work, but or, or not just a contractor, any kind of you know technical service provider or any kind of service provider. To be fair, but when you're contracting, you have to be always finding work or trying to win work or selling yourself to get more work. And I have the, exactly the same situation. It's called feast of famine, isn't it? Where you, you basically yeah. have everything on the table at once. Right now, I was expecting to finish a contract kind of at the end of June. At the very beginning, uh, hang on, yeah, June, end of June. Very beginning of June, I had two other opportunities uh, that came up to me because I thought, oh, it's coming up to a month. I'll start speaking to people. And both of those opportunities have come to fruition. I've got another phone call yesterday or the day before, or email rather, uh, that I have since had some phone calls about about another piece of work, which is luckily only small, but probably or could potentially turn into more. And then the current current client that I'm working with have wanted to extend me for four months full time. They want, they want you know, seven and a half hours a day out of me. So it's just, whoa, all at once. But you can't say no to it all because you say no to one of those clients and the other one, and then they'll go somewhere else and then they'll forget about you and you won't keep them as a client. So the way I look at that is I, in that situation, I look at that as a potential business expansion opportunity trying to juggle the work yourself if you can, but if you can't, try and outsource it. Try and subcontract it. Try and substitute yourself if if that's the situation you're in, um, if you can. Because that allows you to take more clients on and then potentially to give you more work, and then potentially you can build a business and start maybe employing people to help you with that work as well. I don't. Know. I mean, maybe that hasn't even entered your head at the moment, Anthony. I don't know. Um, to be honest, I have considered it. It's what one of the reasons I wanted to work for myself is is to not have the responsibility of managing other people, which is something that I always sort of ended up doing, being permanent. But yeah. it may be something that I do for a short term contract, or you know. So it's, you know, what what one contract is 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 pretty much full time for six months, and another one is sort of bits and pieces here and there, but may turn into something longer. Now, with a bit of luck, it'll turn into something bigger just as the other contract ends. But in reality, <laughs> what's going to happen is they're all going to smash into each other. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to end up uh, needing to find somebody else to help me out. Or do you have, or, a, do you have you know, a worry about setting expectations with your clients then? Do I ever worry about setting expectations? So I know you're, again, you're quite new to it, but when that happens and you've got a clash and you've got an override and you don't want to say no because of everything we've already mentioned, what happens then? Do you do you either say yes with the expectation you are going to subcontract and do you set your client's expectation or do you want to set your client's expectation that you're not going to be doing the work? Or does it not matter? Do you just uh, well, take the I work think- on and get on with it? Uh, I think if I was going to get somebody else involved, if I was if I wasn't just swapping me out 
sort of temporarily if i was if if i was saying you know this contract is a bit too big for me to take on at the moment um i'd need to take on somebody else and then we'd have to probably discuss you know how how we arrange that um I, I, I'd be happy to do that. And I have thought about having that conversation with, with one of the clients, you know, if I need to, um, if I can find somebody to, to help me. Yeah. Um, but yes, but the, the, one of the sort of good down, sort of downsides and upsides, I suppose this month has been, we, we had a project um, from one, from a, a client on a really tight deadline. Uh, and he said, you know, can you do it in that time? And I said, well, we'll, we'll try and get it done for them. Um, and I did manage to get it done, but I've obviously worked weekends and late. But compared to being a permanent where I was just salaried, uh, they were happy for me to build them for the extra time. So I've essentially worked, I think, probably the whole month's worth of full time, you know, like a standard month of full time, but in the first sort of two and a half, three weeks of mm. the month. And now I can have a week off. Um, so it, it so I, I pushed myself to do it, but I, I you know, I, I'd thought about it and agreed to do it. I didn't have anything else on for those three weeks, but something could have come in in those three weeks, and then I would have had to say no to that. Um, but it is, it's a juggling act, isn't it? It's difficult to know when to say when to say yes and when to say no. And also, obviously, I am quite new, um, so I do want to build up a bit of uh, a bit of reserve in the company. So that you know, if I do have some downtime, I can still continue to pay myself. So I, I think possibly at the moment, I'm more likely to say yes to things that maybe once I've got a bit more established, I might be more I'd be, be happier to say no. Yeah, you got but, that war um, chest as we refer to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you know. Um, uh, yeah. So. I think I think the um, there's a way to say no to clients as well, but keep them happy. Um, a lot of the times I, I manage expectations uh, constantly with all of my clients and I'm always like, right, I don't necessarily say to them, I can't do that because I've got something else on. I say to them, are you okay having that by two weeks on Friday or are you okay having that by this? And if they say no to that and they push me for an earlier date, then I might start expanding and saying, okay, well, if that's the case, then I have to potentially find someone to do the work for us or I have to... Um, shift some of the priorities around so let me come back to you and then you know remember you've also unless you're deep in the throes of a statement of work that you have signed off and and said yes to you can also say no to work that's one of the beauties of being a contractor is that um you've got that what we refer to as mutually mutuality of obligation we can say no and the clients can also refuse to give us work as well so we don't actually have Apart from the contract we sign, we don't actually have any obligation to our clients or vice versa. But no. you st- it's all—it's not just that. It's about the soft skills as well, and it's about building up that um, that set of clients and that that relationship. And employees don't have to worry about any of this. And it's—it's—I—I I don't think I could live in a live in have have a job these days where I didn't worry about this kind of thing because I, I don't just like doing like the one thing. You know, I don't like just coding. I know you. I know you said in the past that you really just want to code, but I yeah. really enjoy the business side of things and the stakeholder management and the, um, you know, coming up with strategies and working, you know, more than just writing code. I, I mean, I, I like that as I, well. I, I do enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy design. Yeah. And, and, and coding. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of the other stuff, uh, you know, I'm not so fussed about. But I, one thing that I have enjoyed being able to do is work on multiple projects and do a bit more of a range of things as opposed to just working on the same sort of project or set of projects for, you know, two, three, four years while you're working at the same company where everything's very similar um, and being a bit more... You know, I, I've, learned, I've learned so much in the past three months as well from just working on, you know, because every time you pick up a new project, there's always something in there that you've never come across before or a different a different uh business process that maybe you've not worked with before and that sort of stuff and different people you, know, you can't forget the people that everybody does things and has different terminology yeah. for something and although almost everybody does things the same way they just think they do them differently it's still yeah. it's still interesting to learn that and i tell you what just that alone has made me a better communicator just being able to and and it's made me less. There's something that's been happening with one of my clients over the last few uh, few weeks. I've been building building something up, and they've finally, like I'd say, in the last few days, agreed to something that I suggested months ago. As a permanent employee, 
I wouldn't have known how to communicate that and I wouldn't have known that that process would have taken that long to get to that point and I would have been very, very frustrated by it. Although there have been moments of frustration, I haven't blown up because of it, if you know what I mean, and I haven't, I've dealt with it in an organic and understanding way, whereas I wouldn't have done that in the past. And that's a that significant change to me from when I was a bit younger and probably a bit more naive as well and less experienced, but also... I think if I'd have stayed in a permanent job and I didn't have the breadth of knowledge and the breadth of um, experience that I've got now, I don't think I would have been able to do that and and accept it. You know, accept that, right, you've you've done what I told you to do four weeks ago, not, you know, why, why didn't we just agree this four weeks ago? You know, it, but, you know, I think that's a, a big thing, a big thing for as well. So you uh, mentioned something briefly then about uh, managing your time and doing overtime, like working over the odds to get uh, the project or whatever you're working on, the, the delivery, the deliverable to the client. Now you're talking about doing what we're talking, maybe 12, 13, 14 hour days sometimes to get things over the line. Yep. And, and some weekends and stuff. I mean, I don't really see it anymore as overtime. I don't, the contracts that I have at the moment aren't, you know, we want you to work eight hours Monday to Friday. Just, and they, sh- they generally shouldn't be either going yeah, forward. So it's just, you know, X amount of work per month or, or up to, you know. So I didn't really have a problem with doing the overtime. And I actually prefer to work in a more, I, I find I get more done in a more concentrated fashion anyway. So as long as you don't do that all the time or else yeah. you burn yourself out. So, you know, I've, I've had a hard two or three weeks, but I've I've done possibly a lot more than I might have done spread out over the month by concentrating my mind, you know, a bit. Um, and now I can have it, you know, a couple of weeks off, sort of guilt-free, maybe a week. Kind of guilt-free. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem as well. I've, I've suffered quite a lot in the past of not being able to... Um, it's not the separation of work and, and pleasure. It's the not being able to get my mind off what's coming next, whether it's with the same client or whether it's with an unknown client I haven't yet got, or it's with you know work that these three projects that I've got potentially coming up, I've got some hum- some projects that could turn into potentially life-changing things. Like every single project can be that. It doesn't matter. It, as, a, as a contractor, we kind of look at something sometimes as a set piece of work but every set piece of work is a marketing opportunity for us to maybe expand our business and become a and maybe change our business as well maybe change it into a consultancy maybe get bigger bigger contracts that i definitely couldn't do on my own and i need to engage other people for you know all of that builds up over time and i think without the attitude shift that i had i said maybe five or six years ago of clients you know, need servicing, and I'm not just being paid to do work for them. You know, I'm I need to service my clients and keep them happy and um, retain them for a long period of time. Then that I I wouldn't have ever got there. You know, it's, it's still I think, I think a, to me. I still big, think about it every day. <laughs> a big realization, I suppose. One that um, something that I luckily I realized when I was a few years ago. Is, is that it's, it is worse to say yes and not deliver than to say no if you can't do it. Or, you know, t- you know, t- say, you know, if you can't do it in a week, don't say you will do it in a week. Say you can't do it. It's better to say now you can't do it in a week than to wait a week and then go, I've not done it. It's, uh, you know, but it is, it's difficult. It's difficult to say and no. You, and you will lose opportunities for being honest yeah. a lot of the time because people can't wait around for you or they don't believe that you, uh, if you say, right, that's going to take me four months to do that their vision of what they expect might not match your knowledge and experience of how long it will take to do that you know when i started this current project for for one of my current projects for one of my clients i said to them right the first phase is three months we've got four phases and i don't they probably had lots of internal conversations and went well maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about maybe he doesn't i don't know i have no idea nor do i care but luckily because of the way I'm delivering it, they their expectations are being managed that that time scale is being exponentially increased over over a significant period. You know, they've signed me up for four months now, but that will probably turn into longer based on the work that I've done so far and how long they realise these things take to do, you know? So it's you can't 
I've got another example of another client that I haven't um, convinced yet, uh, but they have a let's let's I'll keep it. I'll keep all names and everything on detail out of it, but they've got a spreadsheet. We've all had clients like this, and this spreadsheet they want to turn into software. And and I've I've done loads of these in the past. And when I come back to them and I say, right, this is actually a six month job to get this into a web platform where users can log in. They're all securely logging in. That you know you you want people to access the data via an API, then or you know what I explained to them in APIs, this is how it's going to have to work and I'm going to have to build that. Um, yeah, there are tools that can make things easier and quicker, but generally if you want best book software, you want this, 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 and this, this is how long it's going to take. Then you've got your testing, then you've got your maintenance, then you've got software is never, ever finished. It will always need somebody to maintain it. Then we've got potentially talking about licenses. All of these things add up, but if you overwhelm a client with everything at the very beginning, especially a new client that doesn't know anything about software, then they quite often will turn off, turn away, and not understand that, right, we can phase this, we can release it incrementally. Um, so yeah, expectation management is a big part of it as well, big part of scheduling. Yeah, that's been another, uh, so one, one of my, my clients has asked me to um, do some design sessions with them and then go away and, and es estimate some work and that, you know, plan it out for them and stuff. And that, that, that was quite... I wouldn't say stressful, but you know, I, I send them the estimates, and you know, I've I've done estimates for years, and I'm definitely better than I was, but maybe not brilliant. But I sent it to them, didn't get any feedback at all. Not a, oh, thank you, oh, thank you, yes, that's really good, or that's far too much. And then you're like, oh, what, did I was it? Did I you know overestimate it? Did I misunderstand the issue? Did I underestimate it? Am I am I going in really really cheap? And they thought it'd be more. I don't you know. I've had that. I've then, had people say that this should be. 20 grand more than you've quoted here and I mean like well I can do it for this much that was when I was a lot younger now it, it's most likely they'll come back and go how can we cut this down by at least half <laughs> and I'm like well we can phase it that's the simple answer to this we can say for this year you know you need to budget this much for this part of the, you know it, it, there's loads of different ways to, to approach it though isn't there uh, but yeah this the scheduling part is uh, is quite key to figuring out Sorry, the estimating part rather is actually key to figuring out how to schedule work as well, and schedule the rollout of in this instance software. Yeah. Um, so how do you, or how have you, currently dealt with uh, estimated estimations? And you said that you've done some estimations on paper, but do you charge clients for that work? How much detail uh, and yes. effort do you put into it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I sort of said this up front. You know, this is. You know, I'll go through this. I'll, I'll plan it out for you. This, this will be, you know, I, I reckon it'll probably be you know, so many hours work. Are you okay with that? Yeah, that's fine. So then I went away and did it, typed up the document. Obviously, did the estimates by throwing darts at the dartboard because that's the real way you could do estimates. Um, yeah, well, you know uh, what? You're not far <laughs> off, and that's the that's the problem. I, If you want real solid estimates for something, uh, the way that I tend to do it is you have to break down every single requirement down to its its granular parts, yeah. and then you need to assign a number to it that you think off the top of your head it's going to take, like physically development. So that that one thing there, that login form, is going to take me two days because I need to do the back end, I need to do the front end, I need to do the database, I need to do everything else. All right, so that's going to take me two days to do that. Add times it by two at least, and then add a factor of 0.4 or something like that. And the factor is usually my confidence factor in the business, in the company that I'm working for. So sometimes it yeah. could be 0.6. Um, it, it again depends on the client. And so the problem is with with the estimate. So and, and that is that is the technique that I always use. Break it down. And can I break this down again? Because every time you break it down, if if you look at something and go, oh, that's may, maybe two or three days. Well, then you break it down and then start thinking about each thing separately, and suddenly both of those things are two days each. You're like, oh, suddenly I've got four days. And then, yo, oh, maybe I can split that down. And then, so that, that is, you know, what I, I find, the, you know, the most useful technique for, for the estimation is to look at the problems. The more granular you get, the more the time, more time it takes. you spend estimating it. And then and, you're like, oh. Yeah, and then, and then how it's like, Right, I, I'm. If you want this to be okay, the more time I spend estimating, the more accurate it's going to be. But you've still got you've still got contingency, you've still got testing, you've still got potential bug fixes. Even if the code comes out almost perfect, you've got changes that 
you aren't going to anticipate, and this is where the agile yeah. thing comes in, that you've got constant feedback coming back from customers. But then if you want agile, you have to put CI and CD in place, which takes time to put in, put in place and implement and design. And it's impossible to really, <laughs> to properly accurately um, estimate. And how sure software. is the client that their requirements are correct? Very rarely. Very rarely are they even 10% sure. So, you know. But that's our job, is to... Is to is to explain to them what all this is. As a consultant, when I have my consultancy hat on, it is all about educating and it's all about um, gaining confidence with the client and making sure that they understand why this is going to take so long without baffling them. Yeah. And and there are different levels of bafflement as well. There are some people that you speak to and they glaze over. You can physically see the eyes glaze over within seconds. And then there are others that are really invested and really want to get down at the nitty-gritty and the detail and they really want to learn. And, and it's like, well, that's great, but now we're starting to dig into time I should really be starting to develop. You know, it's it's yeah. it's a hard thing to, to really manage. But again, it, it, it comes with experience, I think. So again, we talked about um, you talked about you don't refer to doing time in excess of your standard seven and a half eight hour day as overtime anymore. Now, when you were no. permanent, you absolutely would have done. Yes. Now you knew, and I'm sure I'm assuming not everybody does get paid overtime. I'm assuming where you work normally, you would get paid overtime, or you'd get it in yep. lieu in holiday or something like that. Nope. Okay. Yep. Okay. Great. You're a chump, but so the uh, well. <laughs> Uh, the um, there's, there's a I'm not sure whether I talked about this when we did the QA episode, but when we were doing the we had a lot of we had we had some issues uh, a company that I used to work for, and we didn't have a big enough testing department, so the developers started testing it because the release date was so far behind, uh, and I I ended up sort of heading up the QA department for a bit, the QA department that didn't exist, mm-hmm. um, so the you know the imaginary head of the imaginary QA department, but. I felt good about it. The um, I, I ended up working a whole month, uh, pretty much like weekends, just like trying to get this over the line, just out of a, a sense of pride in my work and wanting to get stuff done. Um, and then at the end of it, they, you know, I got um, a message from the the one of the managers saying, "Oh, you know, you really stepped up. We really appreciate all the work you've done. Have a day off in lieu." And I, <laughs> I almost, I almost threw my phone out the window. I was absolutely fuming. And do you know what? If you'd have bunged me five hundred quid or something, which is which is not, you know, not worth what you the did. Amount of work, yeah. I would probably have been more. I, I'd probably have been, oh, that's you know, that's a kind gesture. But give me one day back of the eight, you know, days. And evenings and everything that I'd done back, and I, I felt was quite insulting. And, and then from that point, well, as soon as they'd done that, next time they needed a volunteer, I was like, no, nope, sorry, yeah. it's not, you know. And that's the thing, the burning bridges. If they don't treat your employees right, if you don't invest in your people, and I'm not just talking about treating them well when they put extra effort in, I'm talking about investing in them in the long term, giving them training, giving them things that they want to do and want to work on and are, and are interested in, um, you know, not just treating them like tools. Then I mean this is a totally different episode, but we you know we can we can talk all day and I think we have talked all day about how to treat people and how to lead teams and how to invest in people and that kind of thing. But yeah, I, it's I don't know how we got onto that. To be fair, I don't know how we, we, we well we talked about it all the time. <laughs> but, but now you see, now there was a project it needed to be in a short time frame. I worked the extra. I'm getting paid for the extra. I'm happy. You know, I, it was a difficult couple of weeks, but you know, I, I I've like I said, I'm filling up my, the, the the war chest at the moment, so I was happy to do it. Did you get any thanks and appreciation from the client? I did, yeah. Yeah. So again, yeah. that's nice, and because you've got that professional relationship, I often think because it's not a um, uh, it's not a, a, a relationship of service; it's a relationship to provide services, yeah. and and it doesn't sound much different, but it is distinct. Your you have this professional business to business. Um, communication with them and understanding with them that everything that you do is essentially costs them money. So they hopefully, that there's two types of clients in that instance. They either really appreciate it, and yes, they want to cut down on costs as much as possible. They don't want to just pay you willy-nilly, but they'll, you know, they, they appreciate your time and they pay you for it. Then you've got the others that will nitpick and and you know, pick everything out of every single penny that they spend on you. And yeah. to be fair, usually those kind of clients are ones you 
want to back off from uh, most of the time um you the ones you want to sack because they don't appreciate you and at the end of the day you're giving them you know you're charging them what you charge them because of your expertise and your years of expertise and the fact that they have the flexibility of not you know not having you around all the time and calling on you when they need you you know there's a lot more to it than just that contractor or that person over there gets paid 15 times what i get paid and it's like well what about the nine months i was off last year you know and anyway, yeah. getting onto different subjects here again where we're getting uh, getting carried away you see uh, well, you when, know, i know what you mean about the about the the clients who nitpick over every you know hour that you charge and whether you did what you know i have been at touchwood quite lucky so far that um uh i've not had any problems with any of the clients that i've had obviously i'm quite new and i will come across people like that i know i will um but uh but i, and, but I have worked really hard for them as well yeah, and that's the thing. A lot, and, and I have to say, a lot harder than I have done when I used to be a permanent employee, which is, which is another thing. If you be honest with yourself, are you money motivated or are you motivated because of the pride that you have in your work? Or is it a uh, bit of both? So, that's a good question. I mean, I'm not doing extra hours because I'm money motivated. I was doing the extra hours because I promised to get a project delivered by a certain date. I actually don't, like I said, I don't need to work as many hours as that. Um, but I'm happy to do it for a bit to build up my, my war chest. But yeah, I, I I do get invested in things. I, I, I want to make sure I do a good job. If I promise that I'm going to do something and deliver it in two weeks, I will work as hard as I can to do it. Um, and I would be really upset if I didn't do it on time. And that's the, the uh, same with me these days as well. I Yeah, fair enough. The money's lovely, but that isn't the point. I've had some projects. There was one uh, in the past, uh, last few years. Uh, I worked 18-hour days, seven days a week, for about three months to deliver a project, um, considering that I also helped the same client and managed the whole process to recruit quite a few additional developers to help with the project. Because when I took me on, I said, this cannot be done by just us two. We need to be able to, we need to have someone to test it um, while we're developing. We need to someone to have to do all of the ETL work and everything else. Because um, we've got 500 things to do when we've only got two hands to do them with, you know, and we need them done yesterday um so i managed to get the project done but i got no thanks for it because it was such a high stress project and all they saw was the amount of money that they were spending on it but we got it done and we got it done two weeks before it needed to be done as well um i got i came out of that contract with tons of extra cash but i felt even though i delivered because they didn't even slightly appreciate what i did and how much effort i put in i felt quite horrible about the whole thing i've got to be honest because again they took the human element out of it and the all it doesn't take much to say thanks you know i know i I have to say that is one of the things that i was worried about one of the reasons that i was worried moving to contracting not not having that relationship with people but actually i think again it's early days it's different but i you know i've got i have got relationship with different people and and i think they do appreciate the work that i'm doing so far so and I think that that's the thing is you've got the different relationships. I don't go out on work dues with people anymore. I don't really socialize with people. Um, and so sometimes, to be fair, even in meetings when I try and be a bit lighthearted, they're, they're all business, you know, because they're paying for my time. Um, and they want to they get to the points that we need to get to. And that's fine. And I have no problem with it because I've got other outlets for that. You know, I've got my friends and uh, bike rides and everything else I do. Um, but I think... Yeah, you don't get the same element. We're getting off schedule. We're getting off scheduling here, but yeah, we don't sorry. get the same. We don't get the same element of um, camaraderie as employees do. Um, I don't. I can't say I miss it that much, but I also do miss it as well. I've got to be honest. I do miss having a drink with friends after work sometimes, and you know, just generally socialising. But um, well, we will be missing having a drink with friends. <laughs> The past three months. No, well, well, again, I haven't done it for years, so I can't remember what it's like to be in a pub. And I would, I'd feel like I'm wasting my time in a pub now because I've, I've got, I'm so productive. I do so many things. I don't drink. I don't really, you know, do anything. Um, but anyway, right. So I went. Yeah. So the point I was trying to make with that that eighteen hour day thing is that it didn't feel like overtime. It didn't feel like I. W- I certainly wasn't doing it for the money. Um, but in the end, it needed to be done to get the work out. You know that I was that I'd agreed to do because I felt an obligation, and I don't know if it was contractual or a pride thing, but it certainly wasn't motivated by by 
money or or anything else like that. It was more about I said I've put a lot of time invested into designing this piece of software and to designing all you know even designing the team that needed to be you know to be uh, in place to actually deliver it. I feel like I am directly responsible when in reality nothing would have happened if I didn't deliver that. They'd have got somebody else. You know, they wouldn't they wouldn't have sued me or anything like that because that isn't really how the software industry works. No matter how much you look at it, unless you are an agency providing you know a, a huge piece of software for a particular client that you know big, yeah. big company client. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the scheduling part of that there wasn't really any scheduling. It was just ad hoc, get it done as much as you can. And I certainly put in more effort than anybody else did. And what yeah. and the, what was the reason that you were doing those 18-hour days? Was it because you misestimated it? Or be, was it because the client had an unreasonable deadline, even though you told them that it was unreasonable? Utterly unreasonable. On? And I said, even with the people that I told them that we needed, basically, let's think about it in this way. Try and imagine, well, you've probably been in this situation, try and imagine squeezing two months' worth of work into two weeks you know, try and imagine that and, and what you would actually need to achieve. If I physically had to write code for two months solid, seven and a half, eight-hour days, to actually get what I needed to do, I'd estimated it right because I keep my own timesheets and I'm, I actually looked at it at the end and I'd, I, was still, I was a little bit ahead of where I needed to be. But there's no way I could have done it, even though I knew how to do the other people's jobs that, were, that we took on. Because, again, I designed the system. I was like, I can put all this together. It's going to take us six months. No, we've got three months to do it you know okay well we need this to do it that's how it was so it was it was their unreasonable expectations and their complete lack of understanding when it came to the technical aspects as well of what was needed to achieve what they wanted but it was a a very high pressure environment and not very high turnover of employees in general I think not just the developers um, it was interesting. Anyway, it was good. I, I I enjoyed the challenge, but yeah, it wasn't very nice at the end when you just suddenly get uh, a termination notice. I was going through an agency then as well. You suddenly get a termination notice from the agency because because the, the I think someone was talking about me behind my back, and in fact, a contractor that I took on to help with something was talking about me behind my back and told a new person that was running the show there that I didn't like what I was doing or something. I, d- I don't even know. He was just a snivelly little bastard. Anyway, rant over. Right. Uh, <laughs> moving on. So, we haven't talked about the importance, really, of uh, scope in this instance. So, when we're talking about scheduling our work, we need to have a scope first before we can even start thinking about scheduling that work in, thinking about how much overtime we might have to put in. You know, the statement of work that we put together, the actual um, delivery of or the, the definition of deliverables. So it's not requirement gathering because that become, that comes usually after a statement of work or with the statement of work. It depends on which way you do it, I suppose. Yeah. A lot of the time a statement of work will have requirement gathering on it, right? When I, char- when I charge my clients for requirement gathering, um, what I do is I say to them, right, I don't know how much, how complex this piece of software is going to be. I know that you've told me you want a spreadsheet that's turned into a, a website, but that's it. And I've looked at the spreadsheet and there's tons of numbers on it that I don't understand and have no idea because I'm not part of your business. Um, and I've got loads of graphs that look all fancy and stuff. But to me, every single one of those is a new web page that needs to be, or, or maybe a report or something. like. There's so many different ways to put software together that... I have to charge you on an ad hoc basis for that. So that isn't scheduled. That's ad hoc when I say requirement gathering. I say, if it's small, it's going to take a few days. Yeah, you know, I can't imagine it's going to take long. But I've had I've had requirement gathering situations where it's taken three months to deliver the requirements document before we've even touched software in massive companies. And I'm talking about places that are designing, you know, entire suites of software that, that I'm helping architect so you don't know so i charge for that on, on an ad hoc basis and then i uh, then i move into scheduling and then i move into uh, proper being able to give them some dates and deliverables but sometimes you start with a date so you can't and, always do that and then the most so if you if you say if you estimated some work uh, a certain amount of you know t- two months say what would happen if you if you couldn't deliver it into that two months, or would you just work overtime to get it done within that two months, even if... It depends on the relationship. 
I mean, but obviously, if they change the requirements, and that is the reason it's taking longer, that's a different question. But if you've just made a mistake with the estimation you find out, how would you deal with that? That's entirely on me. However, we both know, and we've already said it a number of times here, the vast majority of the time, the clients don't know what they want. And they may very well have given you a requirement that didn't have anywhere near the same, the right level of detail in it. But that's what the statement of work is for. The statement of work is there to say, if you want this in two months, then we need to determine what you need and what I can fit into two months. I cannot, I cannot, even with 100 people, I might not be able to deliver what they want in two months, you know? It, and if, if I did need 100 people, then there's an extra overhead of administration and management and everything that I need to consider. So all of that feeds into the requirement gathering process. Um, but if I genuinely make a mistake, if they say to me, it's usually on a smaller scale, so if they say, right, I want, um, I want a single page of a, again, I keep using this spreadsheet, but a single page of a spreadsheet that's got a table on it. Um, I want my clients to be able to log in. I'll start asking them questions um, about how the clients log in and what kind of, uh, do we need security groups? Do we need granular access controls? I'll dig into that in the requirement gathering process. Um, I want a single, and, and, and I get to a point where I agree with them that it's just a basic login, email, password, my brain goes off and thinks, right, this needs to be secure. We need to hash it. We need to do all these other different kinds of things. We need to have secure hosting. I'll cater for all of that within the, the process. If, I, if, I, if they sign a statement of work off and it doesn't include what they want, then it's not my problem, so I'll charge them for yeah. any extras. If I sign a statement of work off and I've messed up the estimations or I've promised to deliver three months' worth of work in two months... Uh, and I know that, then it's my, it's on my head, absolutely. And I have to work overtime to do that. It's never happened to me though. Never happened because most of the time, never. It, never because most of the time, clients. I'm very thorough. You know me, Anthony. You know how anal I am about things and how thorough I am when it comes to. And imagine what I'm like with clients. It's why one of the most the recent things I'm working on with one of my clients has taken us four weeks to get to where we are because I'm like, well, actually, we haven't actually got to a point where we, I think today we've signed the document off for, for this, this particular thing. We, we, it takes us a while to get to it because I'm bringing up all potential you know, things that might go wrong and they go, well, that isn't going to happen in our business. And I say, well, what about this? And they go, ah, yeah, that will. So let's cater for that. And I go, well, this is actually a solution for that. And it's, it's a constant back and forth. So there's, it's very difficult in software, if you're good at software and designing software, to actually give a number up front. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless you've I mean, got I a totally huge team. Which, 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 which is one of the reasons for the question, where, you know, because... I, but I suppose you're right. In the majority of the cases, the, the, the client didn't specify everything that they wanted. In the first and this is, this is why IR35 is, is a, a bit of an issue, because... Even legitimate software consultants, and and I'm not saying most contractors are. I genuinely believe that most contractors are not genuine consultants that don't that put statement of work together and and deliver and have risk and all that kind of thing, which is what I do, um, and you do by the sounds of it as well. You've you very much have started in the right position. I'm proud of you for that. <laughs> to be fair, it's it's nice to see that. Um, it's it's difficult even for people like us to be able to say right. I can I can accept risk for this piece of software that my client is essentially designing and telling me what they want and I'm telling them right well these are all the things that might go wrong with it or could go wrong and me be able to accept risk for delivering that because it changes over a significant period of time yeah. and it could be a year that I'm delivered even longer developing a piece of complicated software that's got multiple tiers and multiple facets and tons of requirements and it it's just not, it's not, the only way we could do it is by them doing all of that work, all of the requirement gathering work, and then giving us very small packages of work to do, which is essentially what the Agile process does. And this feeds into scheduling again. If I'm part of an Agile process, I will say to them, in the next two weeks, I can fit this, 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 and this in. That is yeah. my statement of work for those two weeks. Yeah. And I don't care if HMRC don't like the look of that and if that looks like an employee. Because sometimes, and it doesn't happen to me that often these days, but sometimes that's the only way to do it. 
because it has to be that granular and we cannot commit to more than that and accept any risk for outside of that. If I step over those two weeks and go, you know, this this task I couldn't get done because this other task ran over and it's my fault it ran over, then I'll do overtime for nothing. But that doesn't happen because most of the time the task change or the requirement change is due to a discussion that I've had with somebody who said, oh, actually, because we've now drilled into the detail, this is actually true. You know, this happens in this department and this thing needs to change. And, and it, it's organic and it's impossible. It's impossible a lot of the time in big projects for us to, to accept that risk and go run away with it. And who's going to prove it, even if we do? Yeah. It's so difficult it's to define. And this is the this is the most you will ever see me accepting uh, that IR thirty five has flaws because most of the time I'm on IR thirty five side. I agree that it needs to exist because I think it gets abused. But we're getting onto the wrong subject again. I'm uh, Josie would have shut me down by now. If I'd, uh... <laughs> well, I've enjoyed talking about it. So anyway, I think you know what we've covered. I didn't think we'd be able to keep it up, even though you and I t- chat a lot, and I'm a, a gobby bugger. Um, uh, we've we've come to the end of the show. So, yes, um, before we close out, I'm going to do our Bring Your Own Manual, which is our chance to talk about something that we've learned in the last week or the last two months, uh, because we haven't had a show for that long, um, recently, anything that we've learned. So, Anthony, have you got anything that you can share, technical, non-technical? Could be, could be, it doesn't have to be anything to do with what we talked about. Well, I can, I can I can tell you, well, I was talking to you about it before we started, but my, my I think my... Um, but it's a bring your own manual yes. is, uh, is 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 by by cheat by twice i think is is the uh so oh. uh by cheat by twice we never heard that phrase before or oh, buy cheap by twice by, right by cheap by twice yes i i when i started my business i obviously didn't have any income i got the cheapest um uh, bank account possible with one of these new challenger banks i'm not going to name it but um it turns out that there's no customer service so they blocked me for some reason i don't know maybe i've got the same name as a terrorist i don't know um but I, i've suddenly not been able to pay any bills or myself or um get any direct debits paid and uh it turns out there's nobody i can speak to and it's been like this for over a month now uh so uh yeah by cheap by twice i'm currently setting up my second uh business current account with an actual bank that has an actual building that I can storm into and start shouting at people at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, yeah, uh, I, I said I'm lucky with my bank. I don't have people I can talk to, but it, I haven't had any problems with it, luckily. But yeah, uh, I don't envy that situation at all. Yes. Uh, my BOM is a little bit more technical. I've got two little post-its that I've got down here that I've had. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use... Uh, one that I was stuck, I was I was stuck on a problem. I was writing a script for uh, it was a PowerShell script, PowerShell commandlet. I was writing for a bit of ALM work, uh, migration work, and um, I started I started writing the function, and oh, it was just a really simple like string replacement function or something. You know, it was a bespoke one. I needed to replace specific strings, and I thought I need to do that six times. So let's put it in a command in a function of its own. Um, really basic scripting, not TDD, which is my thing normally. But anyway. Um, and uh, the I, ch- I called the parameter input, just dollar input, and I started writing it, and I ran the script, and it wasn't doing what I was doing. I can't, no errors, nothing was happening. It just wasn't doing anything. It wasn't even outputting. And I started debugging it, and when I was debugging it, the input variable was right, and it was setting it, and it was changing it, and it was outputting it, but the output, the actual output of the script wasn't processing right. And I was like, that's just not possible and it turns out that in powershell input is a um it's a reserved variable name that it isn't documented anywhere it's reserved for a very specific instance of when you use it within a a, a pipeline uh, not going to go into the detail but basically it was reserved but it's not documented and it doesn't tell you off for using it anywhere if you called a variable input or you called a parameter input it wouldn't set it and it wouldn't allow you to mutate it outside of the context of this and i was banging my head against the wall for about four hours on this one little thing maybe not four hours but you know what i mean it was a long it felt like four hours <sighs> annoying well, so don't I, use input I, I variables to say, well i think your mistake there chris was using powershell Hey, Shit, nothing wrong with powershell every time i look at it it makes me want to stab myself in the eyes i'll tell you what i don't I'll know work. I'll show you some PowerShell after after this, and you can 
you can stab yourself as much as you want because it's <laughs> wonderful. PowerShell's a brilliant language for for very quick, and it's because it's integrated with .NET as well. Um, it makes more advanced shit scripting very very quick and easy as well. Um, I've even I, I even do test driven development with PowerShell normally as well because there's a, t a testing framework called Pester. Good name that PowerShell Pester. Anyway. Anyway, so yes, we are now at the end of the show. Thank you very much to everybody in Twitch chat joining in. Cheers to Volstrat, to Gwint, to my wife, um, and thanks to Gwint for subscribing as well. I said it might be the first subscription that we've had during the an actual podcast, so cheers. Much appreciated. Um, and yes, thanks to everybody listening to the podcast in the future. Finally, thank you to Anthony. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Please feel free to pimp you, your company. Have you got a website yet? Uh, no. No, I've actually taken mine down at the moment. But uh, yes, feel free. It's your chance now to pimp any projects you might be working on or, or anything. Any If you've got a Magic the Gathering group that you want to pimp, just <laughs> go for it. You know, I don't care. Get on with it. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't really got anything exciting. And I've got, I've got too much work, so please don't give me any. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, unless you can start. wait for four months. <laughs> yeah, unless you, unless you can wait till 2021. So. Well, good stuff. Anyway, so it's time for, time for our pimpage. Uh, you can visit our website on www.dnistream.live for links uh, to all our social media channels, Discord, Dev Chat, and Podcast Discovery platforms. You can also use it to contact us for any reason, give us feedback, send us a funny dev story, get in touch about being a guest on the show. I haven't done much dev on the website in recent months. I've been doing a lot of live development streams, uh, which I've been working on a Discord bot and a network rsync backup solution which is teaching me a lot about um, RSync, the rsync protocol, which is a Linux kind of proprietary delta compression protocol you can use for minimizing network backup transfers. It's really interesting. I like it. I think it's interesting anyway. Um, but I'm also learning about deploying .NET services and things to Linux boxes because I haven't actually done any .NET services, you know, Windows service tech demons i suppose um, so i'm doing that at the moment um and you can give us feedback as i said for the, the, the. and lastly do not forget to follow us on twitch if you are a new viewer twitch.tv forward slash dni stream um and we hope to see you all next week thank you very much anthony again thanks to everybody in chat and we'll see you next week Bye. bye, bye.